0: When it comes to the the subject of idolatry and um, how do we how do define that? I feel like in my own personal journey, I I'm just barely scratching the surface of what idolatry is, um, because I think in in many ways idolatry in our in our um, culture um, is subtle. It's not that. Big fat idol sitting up in front of some temple somewhere, <clears throat> where we know that yeah, I'm not idolatrous because I don't go to the temple, I don't go and kneel before a Buddha or something like that. So our idolatry, many times, is is just a little bit harder to get our fingers around and, and to understand. I feel that like personally, do I really understand what idolatry is? Um, in my life. So yesterday we were talking about um, the three primary expressions of idolatry that um, are given to us in Scripture, or in First John. Um, what were they? What was? It was just before we ran out of time there yesterday. We gave you three of them. Well, how does how does um, Paul describe them? What's the first one lust of the flesh, and that mainly we're, we're at least categorizing that a bit. Maybe our categorization isn't quite accurate, but the the things that we possess, the uh, accumulation of nice things around us uh, lust of the flesh, second one was. Lust to the eyes. And again, uh, maybe there's more to this, but I'm kind of focusing primarily on the sensuality, the tests of, of morality in our culture, and the way that that becomes a, a, um, an idol. It's something we're drawn to because of its sensual beauty. And then, of course, the last one is the pride of life. Uh, and those are just expressions that come from. Our idols, um, and then we gave some illustrations, uh, and in particular, one that i will just highlighting this morning is Solomon, <clears throat> as he he was a, a man that was had, had a, uh, an abundance of silver and gold, an abundance of horses, and an abundance of wives. But yet, at the end of his life, I believe that Solomon died a greedy immoral, arrogant man. He had lost so much of what he had. Um, He was greedy in that he taxed the people so strongly that when Rehoboam, his son, came, the people came to him and said, can you relax this a little bit? And of course, you know the story. Rehoboam consulted the older guys and then he consulted the younger guys and and decided to make it even worse uh, tremendous taxation the greediness of, of a leader and all the gold and silver that came to him is his immoral situation there's no way that a man can be morally clean with 700 wives and 300 concubines I don't know if you've heard uh, how just recently over in, um, in Thailand the last, the previous four kings have all been monogamous, but the current king, um, while his wife is sitting beside him, has now um, commissioned, uh, certified, or whatever, a concubine, and uh, he's had a very immoral life. He's king. Well, Solomon took this much farther than the King of Solomon uh, the King of Thailand is. He had expressions of sensuality that were all around him all the time, and his pride, his arrogance. <clears throat> so that's where idolatry takes us. It destroys the potential that was there. So I'd like to just <clears throat> today. <clears throat> go on with the list that we started yesterday, or actually we didn't get to this particular list, um, and, and get some characteristics of idolatry. But again, before we do that, let's go to our verse. So let's stand together and, and uh, quote our verse, and then we'll sing <clears throat> our song about God changing us into the image of Christ. <clears throat> okay, together. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Good. All right. Let's try the song again. Some of you are picking it up and uh, did very much better yesterday. We'll see if we can do it again this morning. Mm -hmm.
1: Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God.
0: Father, we bring that request to you, change our hearts, cleanse us, make us a pure, holy, radiant, beautiful example of your your holiness, of who you are, your truth. Make us as families, as individuals, demonstrations in our communities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, we we long to be what you want us to be. So continue to change as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. I don't have my thing with me right now. I don't think... Oh, yes, we do. Okay. What part of that are we at? I'm showing to... On the back page, Ephesians 5. Okay. Let me get that... <coughs> um, I'll get that to you in just a little bit. I don't have that written out on my own. It's got it lot my overhead. I should have gotten that to you later or earlier. Sorry about that. fill that out for you in a little bit, a little later on. All right, let's look at um, idolatry. Idolatry inflames the anger of God. Um, you know, as we look at at this scripture here in Exodus twenty-seven. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and worshipped it. So he's just describing this idolatry that's, that's taken place while Moses was up in the mountain. And he goes on to say, They have sacrificed there too, thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. God is getting angry. You talk about what brings God out of his throne, what gets him off his seat, what makes him upset. Right here. It says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. And he says, Most I'll make a great nation of you. God got angry. As much as God hates this, that's why I believe we really need to give keen attention to what He sees as idolatry. If we don't see what He sees and we just pass it off, God's anger... Will be toward us. We don't like to talk about an angry God, we like the God that's kind and grandfatherly, and you know gives us those gifts and all those things that we need for the provisions of life. And to talk about an angry God doesn't uh, doesn't sound good. We don't listen like to hear that. Just like those people who heard the sinners in the hands of an angry God, they passed it off in that first message. God gets angry at this. There's nothing that brings him off his throne like idolatry. Young men, what would it feel like if you're dating a young lady and another guy begins to take her attention? You'd be deeply frustrated, angry, angry, you leave my girl alone. Or men, if somebody started attempting to take your wife's affections away from you, what would you feel? That's what our Father feels when our affection begin to go away from Him. His language is venomous. I mean, He gets in our terms, ticked off by this. God's anger against Israel's idolatry. God gets angry here in in um, these verses in Exodus 32. And then Moses intercedes in verses 11 through 13. And then Moses gets angry in verse 19. we got a bunch of angry leaders here. What is idolatry? It inflames the anger of God. In Ephesians it says, For this we know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. There again, it gives three different definitions to what idolatry is. They do not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. We do serve a God who gets angry. We do serve a God who gets angry. We cannot um, set that aside. So, what in my life takes more time and more interest and more of my resources than, than what God does? And then... It's maybe not completely fair to say, to ask these questions, but do our hobbies take more finances than our tithes and offerings? What really takes the greater portion of our income? Does sightseeing and travel and sports equipment, I don't know what the things are, scrapbooking or collections and so forth that we have, do those take more? of our resources and time than the things of the Lord, building our our walk with Him? Do our hobbies take more time than our brotherhood or our evangelism? Would we rather sit in a tree waiting for a deer than sitting with coffee talking to a hurting friend? Do we consume our time with Texting, blogging, Facebook. None of those things are necessarily wrong. (coughs) But as much as God hates idolatry, I think we need to be willing to look at these things. The second thing is that uh, idolatry finds fertile ground in luxury. We've already kind of talked about that. (coughs) Um, That was the warning in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that I think we mentioned earlier. It says, When all these good things happen, then beware lest ye thou forget the Lord, that you go not after other gods, or the gods of the people which are round about you. That's what happened to Solomon. <clears throat> Number three, I'd like to have you just kind of rewrite it in your notes there. Instead of whatever you have there, I think we had something about idolatry makes created things indispensable. Let's just say, ideology deifies created things. It puts them first. It it, uh, deifies it. It makes it a a god, as it were. They're a must. It's interesting that in Psalm 106, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. The precious children that God brought into their home were sacrificed to their idols. Now, that's exactly what's happening in America today. We don't take it to some big idol that's got a, a belly fired with, with fire and heat and, and throw our children into it. We just do it in our abortion clinics. We just do it in, um, in saving ourselves from having the responsibility of having children and taking care of them and loving them what is so important to God, children, Jesus said, welcome them. We say, no, I don't need them. I don't want them. They interrupt my lifestyle. They, and whether it's in abortion or whether it's in planning our family so we just have a few children so that we don't have too much uh, responsibility, I believe we bought into the system. America lost its battle in abortion when we went quiet as a church about birth control, now, I know that's a strong statement, but you know we aren't even talking about birth control that's kind of normal in in most evangelical circles today, but we began to despise what God loves. God loves children. Jesus said, "Don't forbid them," and yet all over in Christian circles, we have forbid them we do not <clears throat> we, we've allowed our idols to overcome what God says is important they go whoring with their own inventions in um, Romans chapter 1 <clears throat> it says something very similar to what we have here in Psalms they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. we think of people like the Buddha image. And to birds. We have people in our culture that worship the eagle. And to four-footed beasts. Israel was worshiping the cow. And creeping things. Cultures worship snakes. God says, You change the glory of an incorruptible God. And you worship these images made in the likeness of these four different things, <clears throat> they are things that have become our, our gods. We deify created things. Fourthly, it's common. It's common idolatry. That's fifthly, isn't it? Sorry, yes. It's common that's why we don't see it that's why we don't perceive it isn't it interesting it's so it was so common to have high places and worship of idols in Hezekiah's day that when he removed all those things Rabshakeh comes along i think it's if i have the story right Rabshakeh comes along and says you know you don't have any. Uh, you don't have any protection because Hezekiah has removed all of your high places and so forth. So you don't have any protection. You don't have any gods because their worship of the false gods and their their false ways of worshiping. When they were removed, all of a sudden it looks like they don't have any. It becomes so common in Israel's uh, economy that everybody thought, this is the way you do it. In Isaiah, he kind of reflects some of the things that we idolize in our culture. He says, the land is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made and First Corinthians picks this up again there hath no temptation in you but such is common to man but God is faithful who will not t- uh, suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it wherefore my dearly beloved and isn't this interesting he ends this comment addressing idolatry it's idolatry where we make, the, <clears throat> make things around us to be so important that um, they take the place of God. You know, idolatry is not a boring thing. It's not a mechanical bowing down to some stone or gold image somewhere, primarily. Idolatry is that thing in your life that allows you to get the favored position with the youth group, with your business with the women of the church or whatever. It opens your business opportunities many times. And corporate leaders love idolatry. They give sacrificially to it so that they can go to the top of the the, the ladder. It gets you in contact with the, the most handsome young men or the prettiest young ladies. Uh, it, you can talk knowledgeably about things. And so we f- keep in touch with social media or whatever the things are that, that take our time it's the glitz and glamour of the sports world of Hollywood and so forth that draw when we read more about sports than we do about Jesus our souls are idolatrous sports have a place we enjoy them and in their place they're very good But, it's interesting, that place in our hearts should be hate compared to love for God. If we are to hate our fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and so forth down the line, in comparison to our love for God, then of course sports and hobbies and all those sort of things have to fit in that category, not this one. He concludes by addressing idolatry. Our idols appear on our billboards. Our idols appear in our cell phones. Our idols appear in our schedules. And our idols provide us with pleasure. And F.W. Boardman says this, we are at sea without chart or compass. Our theories of pleasure are in hopeless confusion. Is there no definite doctrine of amusement? Is there no philosophy of fun? There must be, and there is. And so <clears throat> that's what we want to develop in our personal lives as to what is my doctrine in relation to pleasure. What is my doctrine in relation to that which the world idolizes? Um, Larry Crabb says it this way, because we've withdrawn from God to eat somewhere else, God's withdrawn from us. He respects our freedom not to want Him. If we instead want our own way, God will let us have it. So we eat in a pig pen and think we're at the country club enjoying the richest affair. We're served slop and enjoy it as though it were a fine dining experience. I think that's so well said. Our slop in our culture is what we feed on so much of the time. That's what we spend time with. Super Bowl Sunday. Ah, I love to watch football games, honestly. Remember the first time I watched a football game at Blacklick High School, <coughs> and uh, just being uh, young, I think it was probably eighth grade, ninth grade, someplace in there, <coughs> and um, went up there standing on the sidelines, and and uh, Steve Ball, or not Steve, it um, uh, doesn't matter, Tom Ball, I think it was, was uh, the um, quarterback, and he threw that qu- that football. Over right to the sideline, just in front of me. I was standing on the sideline. The, the end line was right, or the edge was right beside me. Perfect pass up to uh, Warren Martinez. And Martinez went up and grabbed that thing, and uh, was, I was impressed. Love football games, just to watch them. But I don't watch Super Bowl Sunday due to the idolatry issues. Not only mine, but our nation's idolatry issues. I don't feel I can support by even the time it takes to watch it. I wouldn't say I've never seen any. I just don't make any effort to uh, to watch that because I know it's an idol in our country. <coughs> How do you get rid of an idol? How do you remove an idol? An idol is never removed in passivity. At least in the scriptural background, it was never in passivity. It was always done violently. It was always done violently. Think of Gideon. How did he remove an idol? In Judges chapter 6. In the CEV, it gives us um, some more current language. Gideon, in removing the idol of, of his, um, his village, worked at night. Why did he work at night? Because nobody would be watching. So he worked at night, and he used his dad's bull to pull it down, so um, he hooked up the bull said go for it and down came the, the altar. He cut down the sacred pole and he built a new pole in a very conspicuous place and then he killed and sacrificed his dad's bull. So <clears throat> here we have that uh, progression. He was scared. To do it during the daytime, because of the the way that the entire village was committed to this idol. How did um, Josiah remove the idols? I um, played with the idea of, of doing what he did, but that might not be appropriate here ripped his shirt open and he was upset he was angry he started weeping and he consulted with his mentors what do we do about this and then he shared his his convictions he asked others to join him and he has in a sense went out and burned all the memorabilia uh, of the whole worship system his you know, whatever that was, he, he burned the ashram pole and spread the ashes around the cemetery. Then he went and smashed the altars with his um, sledgehammer or whatever he had. Then he really gets kind of gross. It says in the scripture that he went and urinated on the, on the, uh, in the temples and defecated there. Uh, He made it so it wasn't a very desirable place to go. It started stinking and smelling. I'm not necessarily encouraging you to do that. Um, But he just made a mess of this place that had been a place of worship. He killed the horses, shot the horses. I doubt whether he had a 30-06. But he had something that killed the horses. And he dug out the bones of the old idolaters and burn them. Spread the ashes around. What I'm saying is getting rid of idols takes a level of violence. You're not going to be the most popular person if you start working with the idols of our culture. You're going to be unpopular. But the warning again is flee idolatry. Idolatry. So, in removing the, the idols, God usually starts with the things that we love most. He doesn't start way down at the end. And, you know, we can do without that anyway. Uh, and then maybe the second thing, you oh, know, that's not that big a deal. No, He doesn't start there. He starts with the things we love most. A young man came to Jesus and <clears throat> said, you know, I, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus touched his idol. He said, you go sell all you have, come follow me. He wasn't willing to do that. He so he walked away, sad. Removing an idol, God touches the top thing. And for some of us, for probably most of us in this room, it's your wife and children. It's your wife and children. And that's why in Luke chapter 14, He says, If any man come unto Me and he hate not his parents, his wife, his children, his siblings, yea, his own life, cannot be My disciple. As good, as wonderful, and as God-ordained as those particular relationships are, God says, You can't have that above me. That cannot be more important. That hits hard for some of us. As a child dies, spouse dies, what does God say? Am I going to give up my walk with Him because of this? One of you was telling me here earlier, This week, that a father had a horrible accident. Five of his children, or five of his family, were killed. And the father decided it's not worth following the Lord anymore. Who told me that? Somebody was. I don't think I was dreaming. The things that God sees in our heart that are idolatrous is what He will talk, touch first. He wants to make sure that He is in, He is Lord of our lives. Abraham built an altar and placed his most precious possession on it. He placed his son. You know, I think that's what every one of us need to do in the quietness of our time with the Lord is in a sense to have that altar in front of us and give to Him everything that's on the top of our list and going on down. From this moment on, Lord, my wife belongs to You. My children belong to You. I'll be the best steward I can possibly be for them. But they belong to you. You can do with them what you see is necessary for your kingdom to be built in my life, our family's life, our church's life. If you remove it, I'll worship you in sorrow. If you let it remain, I'll care for them as your steward. Removing an idol is not easy the central evil in the human soul is a natural tendency to elevate secondary things to first place and to pursue their satisfaction as if the well-being of our soul depended on it. And so, we engage in idolatry is when we switch loyalties from ruling, a ruling love that desires God to a ruling love that desires husband, boyfriend, Influential position, uh, handsome income, sexual intimacy, physical beauty, popularity with the cool kids, possessions, and you can go on and need more and more things. Dan Elder said, since we know joy, we may dance and sing, but over time, joy brings the heart to rest. Tragedy, on the other hand, moves the heart to act. blessings can move our heart to complacency to rest we'll talk about the hard things uh, later on this morning and tomorrow so the solution is not to isolate ourselves from pleasure that's monasticism Uh, and in a sense I think that's kind of soul suicide Because, as we mentioned yesterday, God says that my right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Christianity is not the destruction of pleasure, but it's the preservation of real pleasure. It's preparation for eternal pleasure. And holiness is beautiful. The unredeemed never see the beauty of God's holiness. So, as we mentioned, there's just no easy fixes for idolatry. But don't be discouraged. If God is touching something in your heart, if it's your family, your wife, your children, your occupation, your possessions, or whatever, don't be discouraged in, in uh, dethroning that idol. Be sure to uh, keep these sanctifying ingredients in your heart. Number one, just keep in honesty... That will not be dissuaded about that that idol. Recognize it, what it is. Be honest about it, and, and rather than trying to excuse it or or um, um, downplay it. Secondly, continue to have determination that will not quit. Just keep moving at it, like Josiah and uh, Gideon did. They they got a plan and they they weren't going to quit, even though. People rose up and wondered, what's going on here? And thirdly, you're probably going to need accountability with others. Let them know what you feel God has touched in your life about idolatry. And then have them be your sounding board for how you are progressing with it. God will empower you. He hates idolatry. And so He will give you grace. He will give me grace for any idol that I've brought up in my life so I think on the back of your page there we have this list I put them there so you wouldn't have to try to copy them down Um, as you're trying to discern what are the idols in my life um, ask these questions what did I want, desire or wish for what did I fear or worry about thirdly what did I think I needed What were my strategies and intentions designed to accomplish? And what or whom was I trusting? Who was I trying to please? Whose opinion of me counted? What was I loving? What would have brought me the greatest pleasure, happiness, or delight? And number nine, what would bring me the greatest disappointment? Back in um, a few years before we went to Thailand, I was—we um, had an old lawnmower that wasn't doing really well anymore, and so <coughs> I um, began thinking about getting another lawnmower. And you know, they—they uh, they had this nice, big, flashy red. Lawnmower there at, at uh, Sears and a um, you know, 48 inch moor deck. And while I, I needed a lawnmower, I could have used one someplace, but um, you know, the thoughts that started coming through my mind were boy, that thing, that would be impressive. I could see Dawson driving by while I'm on my big, fancy, nice new lawnmower, and he would be impressed. And I thought of other men in the congregation; they, they would be impressed with this. And and you know, as those thoughts kind of just uh, going around in my mind, and yeah, you know, I really don't need one that big, but you know, that that's okay. It's a little high in cost, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. Went in and bought this this uh, lawnmower. Well, what happened was kind of interesting because as soon as the warning went off, the thing started burning oil, and it wasn't very long until I was checking the uh, filling the oil and checking the gas. Uh, it also worked as a good Deep auger in my uh, my yard as I go across the yard the uh, smoke you know would keep the mosquitoes from a double purpose machine and uh, you know it just it it wasn't running good it was it was just a, uh, a disappointment and finally when we had our sale to go to to um, Thailand. I sold that thing for just a penis compared to what it had been worth just a couple years before because it wasn't running well. And I pitied the poor guy that got it. He tried to fix it and he still you know, he didn't have to pay much for it, but he didn't get much of a machine either. Now as I went through those questions later on I saw that really there was a, a spirit of idolatry that was attached to this so-called good thing, a nice, uh, nice mower. What did I want? What did I desire? What was I wishing for? I was wishing for other men of my church to say, hmm, nice tractor. You got a nice one, good one. What did I fear or worry about? It really wasn't anything in, in that particular category. But thirdly, what did I think I needed? I was looking for the approval of other men. You know, I could have bought a used one that would have probably lasted longer than that one, a lot longer than that one did, but they wouldn't have been impressed. You know, approval of other men. What were my strategies and intentions designed to accomplish to prove my ability to provide well for my family I, I and get something really nice? looks good looks like we're doing well what or whom was I trusting I was trusting not the well done of my father but of my friends who was I trying to please whose opinion of me counted yeah my male friends what was I loving I was loving the image of success what would have brought me the greatest pleasure and happiness or delight to have these men ooh and ah over my track number nine what would have brought me the greatest pain for no one to say anything or someone to buy a better one and that's exactly what happened (laughs) somebody else got a better one nicer one bigger one my idol got beat. That's what an idol will do to us. It ruins us, disappoints us. Any comments? We have about 15 minutes here. Um, I'm debating whether we should go on into hardness of heart, which is kind of the flip side of working with the hard things rather than all the pleasant things. The painful things is over against the pleasant things. Um,